Today on the Matt Wall Show, some leaked audio from a queer inclusive presentation at a major education conference reveals exactly what our kids are being subjected to at school, both public and private schools, by the way. Also, some college students are now protesting to, to demand that mask mandates remain in place, but why do they need a mandate? Can't they just wear their masks if they want to? And a major racism scandal at a school in Illinois, but I have some questions about it. Plus, BLM bails out the activist who tried to assassinate a mayoral candidate in uh, Louisville. And in our daily cancellation, Disney is now branching out beyond movies and shows and theme parks and now will be running entire towns, communities where you can go and live every day of your life in Disney's dystopia. But why in God's name would anybody want to do that? We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Did you know that 85% of the grass-fed beef in the United States is imported from overseas? Not only that, but did you know that these foreign products are often labeled product of USA since they're minimally processed here in the USA? Good news is you don't need to settle for low-quality foreign meat because of our friends over at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat and delivers it to your door for a great price. Their beef is prime and upper choice, the highest quality possible. They've got ribeyes, T-bones, New York strips, and more. Plus, their packaging makes it easy to cook what you want, and then you can save the rest, which keeps uh, keeps you from, from wasting anything. Although the challenge is, can you hold on to the good rancher meat for uh, longer than a week? I haven't been able to do that because you want to eat it all as soon as you can. But head on over to goodranchers.com slash Walsh today to solve your meat problem once and for all. Get the transparency, quality, and cuts you've been craving. Order now with code Walsh to get $30 off your box. Now's the time to support American farms and ranches. They're, they're hurting, and also you're hungry. So you can solve both of those problems, two birds with one stone, with a box of American meat delivered. Whoever buys the meat in your house needs to go to goodranchers.com slash Walsh today. You know, it's no secret that I'm not a very big fan of public school. You may have heard me mention that a time or two. I don't know. Uh, but it's important to remember that the problems with the public school system are only partially caused by the fact that the government runs the institution. I mean, sure, our government is an incompetent, inefficient, meandering, morally bankrupt behemoth monstrosity, and toss, tossing your children into its mouth is a bit like, uh, what was it, Jabba the Hutt feeding prisoners into the, the Sarlacc, I think it was called. You don't get Star Wars references from me very often, so please appreciate them when they come. But many parents make the mistake of, of thinking that all of the education system's almost literal pitfalls can be avoided just by avoiding the great chunk of that system, which is run by the state. And so they simply shuffle their children off to private school and believe that the problem has been solved. Unfortunately, it's rarely that simple. Because the other great problem with public school, aside from those issues that can be linked directly to the government, is that it is a product of the culture. And the culture is also a product of it. So it's one big circle, a snake eating its tail. But this often applies to private school just as much as public. Moreover, in both cases, whether private or public, your child's mental and moral formation is being outsourced to strangers, to adults you don't know. Now, it's possible to find private schools that are not, that are not products of the greater culture and which are run and staffed by adults that you can actually trust to handle the precious task of educating your kids. But the preponderance of private schools do not fall into that category. And this report from Breitbart, I think, shows that pretty well. So here's the report published yesterday. It says private schools across the country are training teachers to expose kids as young as four years old to sexually explicit content in secrecy and without parents' knowledge, directed by the National Association of Independent Schools, NAIS, as part of a queer inclusive curriculum. Breitbart News has reviewed an extensive trove of NAIS documents and teacher training supplied to private schools nationwide, which under the guise of being queer and LGBTQ plus inclusive, urge the use of graphic sexual material in classes starting at pre-K. So Breitbart apparently got its hands on uh, mainly this training workshop presentation at a major NAIS conference in Philadelphia a year or two ago. It's an hour long, and speakers instruct the assembled on how to talk to kids as young as four years old about sex and gender identity. So we'll go through this. Here's one clip from an unnamed presenter explaining what kids in pre-K should be told. With the younger children starting in pre-K, we talk about their bodies, about the parts that they were born with, um, about penises and vaginas and whether that makes somebody a boy or a girl, but also their feelings. 
What do they feel like inside? Do they feel like a boy or a girl? What does their head say? Does their head and their heart and their body match up? Now, to emphasize again, this is pre-K. Typical age for pre-K is four years old. Kids at four have only been speaking in complete sentences for, you know, a year and a half or two years. Most of them probably have been potty trained for a year at most, maybe less. Still can't tie their shoes. And already they're being introduced to gender ideology at a time when they could not possibly be expected to notice how incoherent it is. Because a four-year-old isn't going to raise his hand and say, yes, Mrs. Smith, uh, the claim that a person can be a male physically and yet a female in some ambiguous spiritual sense strikes me as the strangest and most schizophrenic form of mind-body dualism and is at best a religious conviction which has no place in a curriculum ostensibly based in science. Now, even the smartest four-year-old isn't going to say that. They're just going to sit and nod their heads or stare blankly as the seeds of insanity are planted in their helpless minds. Now, in another clip, a different presenter laughs about a time when she accidentally, quote unquote, showed graphic images to a room full of young children. Listen. There are missteps where we have to take a step back and refine. I'm going to share one of my missteps. Um, When I started my first year teaching with the health and wellness team, I had been given a title to a book, so I went to our school library to pull it. And I pulled it thinking I had the right one. I didn't. Um, and I read through, I'm like, this is really progressive stuff. But it was my first year, so I'm like, okay, we're just super progressive. So I went in there guns blazing, and I just went for it. And I ended up talking about the vulva and the labia with pre-cares. And it was just one of those moments. Everybody's looking in horror, and I'm like, oh, no, I made a really big mistake. And I share that with you because it's not perfect, right? It's a practice. So be kind to yourselves when you're, like, delving into this. Yes, be, be kind to yourselves as groomers and predators. Just a bit of a silly slapstick comedy there. She exposed young children to sexual content that even she knew was inappropriate. Isn't that hilarious? Maybe she could tell that story at the next Pedophiles Anonymous meeting and get a good laugh. Now, the children, she says, are like sexual lab rats, basically. You can try different things. It's a practice, trial and error type of thing. Notice something. The parents are not mentioned at any point in any of these clips. There is not even lip service paid to the idea that the parents should have a a say in whether their kids are exposed to this content. They're not even worried about it. It doesn't come up. Moving to another clip, we're now told what the second grade lesson plan is like. Now, we have have dived into radical gender theory in pre-K. So then what's happening once we get a few years down the line? Let's listen. By second grade, we move on explicitly to gender identity and talk about it again in terms of your head and your heart and your body parts matching up. And does that work for you? What happens if it doesn't? What are the other parts of you that have to do with your gender identity? And what are the parts of you that don't? And the kids draw wonderful self-portraits again, um, but dealing with all aspects of their identity, including specifically their gender. Okay, so that's second grade. Now, before we talk about that, I'm going to play one more clip for you. Uh, because we go through, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, then they go third, fourth, fifth, and we get up to fifth grade. And, uh, and listen to what's happening by the time we get to fifth grade and beyond. Starting in fifth grade, we start using the words for that, that sex is what you were born with. It's external and internal genitalia. It's hormones and chromosomes. Um, That's something that you can only change with a whole lot of effort. Um, Gender identity is how you feel inside. It's what you feel like in your heart and in your head, just like the language that we used when they were younger. But it's something personal. It's something that's unique to you. It's something that you get to decide. Gender expression is what you share with the world, how you dress, how you act, what you're interested in, what you put out there. And that, again, is your choice. It's something that you can change from day to day. It's completely up to you. Sexual orientation is who you are emotionally and physically attracted to. And so that's how we talk about it with the kids and introduce them to it. Fifth grade is our big year. It's um, not that all of them aren't, um, but we do the reproductive system um, and puberty. Um, 
the we talk about gender identity specifically with the gender unicorn this time talking about things as a continuum um, for gender identity and expression sex assigned at birth who you're physically attracted to and who you're emotionally attracted to so all those aspects of gender identity and sexuality and we do read a book it the kids are like you're reading us a storybook we're in fifth grade um, but it does a lovely job of talking about gender identity the gender unicorn now they've been using this thing for years and it hasn't gotten any more sophisticated or coherent over time on the gender unicorn chart the kids are told that there are five spectrums not just one gender identity gender expression sex your which is also a spectrum now um, your physical attraction and your emotional attraction so we're drawing a distinction there and these are all supposed to be distinct and lucid categories on their own of course in reality in practice they're not these become at best different vaguely defined pockets of confusion None of this helps the kids better understand themselves. No kid is looking at the gender unicorn chart and say, oh, I, I understand. I, okay, I get it now. It has exactly the opposite effect, which is in, intended. All of this is about deconstructing the child's identity, unpersoning them, taking away everything that's solid and real and true and distinct and unique, infecting them with a lifelong identity crisis. But notice something else. We've heard the, uh, the quote-unquote queer curriculum from pre-K all the way to fifth grade. Now, the lessons and the language don't really change at all during that time. It's not as though the kids are introduced to the concept of gender identity and then are taken deeper into it, introduced to increasingly complex aspects of it, the way that we do with a subject like writing or, or you know, mathematics. No, instead, it, it's repetition, like a religious creed. The same basic concept repeated over and over and over and over again. And as they get into college and alleged adulthood, it doesn't change. You can enroll in a gender studies program in an Ivy League school, and you'll be hearing the same slogan. Sex is your body and your gender identity is how you feel inside. It's literally the same thing that they tell preschoolers. At no point. At any age, at any level, is, is this idea actually explained in a way that makes sense? Because it doesn't make sense. Instead, the slogan is, is related over and over and over again. And that's because all of this stuff is vapid and shallow and goes no deeper than a puddle of piss on the bathroom floor. And that's why they want to get to the kids as early as possible so that they can be fully invested in it, fully inducted into the cult before they're old enough to ask even the most basic questions. Because none of this can withstand even the most basic questions. And of course, underlying all of this and all these efforts is this immense, inordinate sense of entitlement by the education system generally, and especially among the queer activists within it. They believe that they're owed your children's hearts, minds, and souls. That's a ransom that you're supposed to pay them, they believe. It's what they're entitled to. Hand your children over, they say, and let the groomers do as they wish. Now let's get to our five headlines. So we're in a, uh, a different studio right now, an off-site location. Our normal studios are um, at a commission for a few days. And we were here yesterday, and um, they put this super fake-looking picture of our old studio on a screen behind me which is actually a picture of a picture because even at our normal studio, it's just a picture on a screen while the uh, new studios are being built. So this is, a, this is the, the screen capture of a picture of what once existed but no longer does. A lot of studio upheaval going on in my life right now. But I texted Sean, my producer, last night, and I said, you know, we, we can't do the fake screen again because I was looking at some of the comments, and, and we're, not, we're, we're not fooling anybody. We can't fool the sweet baby gang. They, we're not going to get one over on them. Maybe Knowles' fans... They didn't know they can be suckered because they're not even a gang. They aren't sweet babies at all, um, but, but not the SBG. So let's just be honest. We're just we're in a different studio. No reason to try to fake it. But I was told this is the only option. We have to go with this. So this is what we're stuck with. It looks like a high school green screen. It looks like, um, you know, what? it looks like I'm doing the morning announcements in high school in 2005. Otherwise, the setup is fine. The only, only other problem being here is that everybody's in the room with me currently while I'm talking to you, um, just sort of sitting off in the dark, lurking, staring at me, which is odd. And you have to understand something. 
Like, because, you know, usually if I'm at a regular studio, they're in the control room. I know they're listening, but they're not actually in the room with me. You have to understand, I, you know, I started this journey in my car totally by myself. And the only physical audience was just a guy walking his dog and peering in the window. Like, what the hell is going on in there? And even back then, the only actual audience, even online, was also just one guy clicking on it going, what the hell's going on in there? So it's just a, it's a different sort of experience. That's kind of awkward, but we'll be fine. Um, you know, I'm guessing not many of you are part of any book clubs. Well, the third Thursday book club with Ben Shapiro might just change that because it's not your average book club. First of all, Ben is not going to be discussing tawdry, poorly written romance novels written by Stacey Abrams. Unfortunately, I think I'd probably join the book club myself if, he, if we were talking about a Stacey Abrams romance novel. But no, he's going to help you experience the greatest books ever written. And um, you're going to be doing that together live. We're talking books like 1984 by George Orwell, Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and many more. These are the works that shaped Western art and culture. And Ben is going to show you why and why this book, uh, these books still matter today. Third Thursday Book Club allows you to engage with Ben like never before. He's going to be answering your questions. You're talking about the book. It's a lot of fun. By the way, you're going to love the immersive sets. Wait till you see what they created for Huck Finn. I mean, it's an immersive set, much like the one that I'm sitting uh, on right now. Ben Shapiro is gathering everyone tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Haven't heard Huckleberry Finn? Finn? Well, join the third Thursday book club anyway. I promise you'll feel well-read by the time it's done because Ben is going to be your guide and he's going to show you why Huckleberry Finn is such an important work of American fiction. When you sign up, you'll also get personal um, notes from Ben, which is a cheat sheet to the important lessons, themes, and characters. So this is, this is actually a good strategy. You don't have to read the books at all. Um, but you join the book club, you get the cheat sheet from Ben, and you listen to him talk about it, and then you can always then it counts as reading it, and you can always claim that you read it. And if anyone says, I don't believe that you read it, then just plagiarize whatever points Ben made about the book, and they'll believe you. And remember, you're doing all this with thousands of Daily Wire members live. This is not like any book club you've ever been a part of. So remember, sign up for the Third Thursday Book Club at thirdthursdaybookclub.com tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. So, students at the University of Nevada, Reno, uh, were protesting yesterday because, because they aren't being required to wear a mask. They're, they're, they're protesting the lack of a rule, which is kind of a, kind of a new idea, especially for college students. Now, how often do you see college students protesting because there aren't enough rules put in place governing, <laughs> governing their behavior? Times have really changed, and so that's what they're protesting now. But it, it raises all kinds of questions, and uh, which we will ask. But first, let's watch the local news report about this protest. Some UNR students trying to get university administrators to hear them. They want the mask mandate uh, to be reinstated. Ben Marjot reports from campus on why some say it's too soon to ditch the masks. Four days after Governor Steve Sisolak's mask mandate ended, some on campus want it back. Coming on the heels of dropping our vaccine mandate, so we really have (laughs) nothing official in place protecting students right now. 50 or so students and some faculty walking out Monday to protest the governor's decision, saying it was based in politics, not science. I just feel sort of offended and annoyed that he's placing his own political career above everybody's safety. After marching to the quad, the group heard from several people who explained their reasoning for continuing to mask up, even when they don't have to. I am immunocompromised. Okay, I have asthma. We need, you know, the entire everybody to be vaccinated. Or if it is not, in that case, at least we should wear a mask. Last week, UNR President Brian Sandoval said he doesn't have the power to impose tighter restrictions on his own, but chemistry professor Kent Irvin disagrees. In the chemistry labs, we require that students wear lab coats and that they have uh, full-toed shoes. Uh, Those are for the safety of the students, and it's not based on a state mandate or a federal mandate. Yeah, that's in a that's in a science lab, okay? But the that's not the entire world. That's not everyday life. Well, in a in a in a lab, we we have to wear lab coats, and yeah, on a construction site, they have to wear hard hats. That's a good question. Why don't we, why don't why don't we require people to wear hard hats everywhere they go? Why don't why don't or you know bicycle helmets at least, but really really full motorcycle helmets with the visor and everything. I think that would solve a lot of problems. Maybe we require the full full motorcycle helmet, um, put a mandate in place, and then that's going to protect against COVID at least as well as the as the dumb uh, masks do. And um, 
And also it protects against other, you know, if things falling out of the sky, falling coconuts, you could trip and fall. I mean, people, people die from falls all the time, trip down the steps. Why not require that? But of course, the big question again is all, all of these kids are upset that there's not a mandate in place, that there's not a rule. They want more rules governing their lives. You know, it used to be that youth was a, was a time for rebellion, rebellion against the rules, right? You know, I can remember, uh, I'm an old man now, but back in my youth, there was, you had, you had this like instinct even to, to break rules just for the sake of breaking them. I mean, you wanted to break rules that were, that were even good rules that, that were put in place for your, actually put in place for your own health and safety. And that you should listen to, but there was still this, this compulsion, you know, some, sometimes overwhelming to, to break it, to try to break free from these, uh, from these constrictions. And now we've got young people that are far on the other end of the spectrum, that their form of youthful rebellion is demanding more rules governing their lives, forcing them to wear something. But the big question is, okay, if you want to wear the mask, just wear it. And if you have faith in the mask's ability to protect you, then it shouldn't matter that much to you whether other people are wearing them. I mean, we're supposed to believe that these people, I mean, everyone at that protest, we can assume is, I mean, they're certainly vaccinated. They're triple vaxxed. I think we can assume that, right? So every single person at that protest, triple vaxxed, most of them double masked. So they're triple vaxxed, double masked, and yet they still feel like they're being persecuted if other people aren't required to wear masks. And yet we're supposed to believe that, that, they, that they think that the masks and the vaccines are effective? They certainly, they certainly aren't acting like it. Now, on the same note here with COVID, um, up in Canada, the Ontario premier um, says that he, uh, more and more politicians in Canada are coming out against uh, the tyrant Justin Trudeau, um, relative both in spirit and genetically, I think, of Fidel Castro. More and more people are coming out against him. And here's the, um, the premier of, of, uh, of Ontario saying that he's, well, he's, he's done with COVID. I want to play this clip. And this is something that we've, we've heard a lot. This is a, this is a mantra that we've, we've heard over the last couple of weeks, couple months. Um, from liberals, from people who used to be fully invested in the COVID panic. Now they're saying, oh, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Um, and here's the latest. Let's listen to this. You know, you, you, can go to, you can go to Costco, you can go to Walmart, you can go shopping. You know, you don't know if the person has a shot beside you or not. But we also know that it doesn't matter if you have one shot or 10 shots. You can catch COVID. See, the prime minister has triple shots, and I, I know hundreds of people with three shots that caught COVID. We just have to be careful. We've got to always make sure we wash our hands and, and move forward. But, Colin, we can't stay in this position forever. We've got to learn to live with this and get on with our lives. I bet if I asked every single person in this room, do you want these damn masks or do you want them off? They want them off. They want to get back to normal. They want to be able to go for dinner with their families. And there's every single person, including myself, knows people that are unvaccinated. You know, sure, there's, there's the rebel rousers. And then there's just hardworking people that just don't believe in it. And, and that's their choice. This is about, again, a democracy and freedoms and liberties. And I hate, as a government, telling anyone what to do. We just got to get moving forward and, and get out of this and protect the jobs. You know, we're, I think a lot of people call them, probably yourself too, everyone's done with us. Like, we are done with it. Let's, let's start moving on and cautiously. And, you know, we, we've, we've followed the rules, all of us, like 90% of us, for, for over two years. The world's done with it. So let's just move forward. Okay, I agree with everything you just said there, obviously. Um, and I've been saying that, a lot of us have been saying that this entire time. Um, and we were shouted down for two years and now we've got people like him and, and many politicians, people on the left as well, who are repeating the things that we said for two years. And a lot of times these are the people who can, the same exact people who condemned us up until five seconds ago. And now they're, now they're joining in this, uh, joining us in, in, uh, in the realm of sanity, which I appreciate. I would, I would love some acknowledgement. I mean, I would love an apology. It's not going to come. I would love, and it's not an apology, just some acknowledgement 
from 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 one of these people. You know, when they when they when we, when we hear yet another one come out and say, "I'm done with COVID," I would love for one of them to say, "You know what? I was wrong about this. The entire time I was wrong about this, and uh, the other side was right." And I would love to hear that acknowledged, but it's never going to happen. And that's why I'm a little bit annoyed with the, well, we're, we're done with COVID line. Because what you're telling me is that you, you put up with this tyranny that I guess you, you always knew was irrational and made no sense. And you, you put up with it, and now you just don't feel like putting up with it anymore. And you've reached the limits of your own patience, and now you're personally done with it. So let's all just, eh, I'm done with that. Let's all just move on to the next thing. Now, you, you were able to tolerate it for a year and a half to two years, and now you're done with it so the world can move on. There's, there's something about that that I find, there's something about that logic that I find very frustrating. I would, I would much rather hear from these folks that, you know what, I was duped by this. I believed what I was told. I thought that the lockdowns and the masking and everything and all the mandates, I, I, I thought that would solve the problem. I thought by now we'd be living in a COVID-free world. And, uh, and, I, and I have, have only just realized, because I'm a very stupid person, I've only just realized that that's not the case and that we're going to have to live with this. It's always going to be with us. And so we should have just lived with it from the beginning. I, I would prefer to hear that. But instead, when I hear, well, I'm just done with it now. I'm bored with it. Let's do something else. I find that to be pretty frustrating. This is also frustrating from WHAS in Louisville. Uh, Local news reporter says a Louisville bail fund organization is planning to pay the bond for a man charged with the attempted murder of a mayoral candidate. Uh, Chanel Helm, an organizer for Black Lives Matter Louisville, said Wednesday that the Louisville Community Bail Fund is planning to pay the $100,000 bond set for Quintez Brown. Uh, And this report was yesterday. I think as of now, they've actually they actually have gone and bailed him out. Um, Helm said the organization has enough money to bail Brown out of Metro Corrections, where he's been held since his arrest on February 14th. She said they are, <laughs> he's been held since February 14th, which was uh, like a day and a half before they bailed him out. All the way back on February 14th. She said they're hoping to um, have him out of jail by Wednesday, but the process is still being finalized. Helm said she wants to have a plan in place so Brown will have access to the mental health resources he needs when he gets out. By the way, his bond, I don't know if this is, okay, $100,000 was, uh, was the bond for a, an attempted political assassination. An attempted assassination, he walked into this guy's office and tried to shoot him at essentially point-blank range. And the victim is saved by the fact that Quintez Brown, aside from being a murdering scumbag, is also a terrible shot. And that, that's the only thing that saved him. So you could walk in to a, a, a politician's office and try to kill him and be out of jail in a few days on a $100,000 bond? Well, no, you can't do that. I mean, it really depends, doesn't it? Because as much as we're told about white privilege in the system, um, the most outrageous cases that I can think in recent memory of people being bailed out of jail after committing horrific crimes... Those are not white people because there's this case. And then there's also the one down in, uh, in Florida, the school shooter who shot multiple, multiple people in school and was out of jail in a couple of days, going home to a, to a welcome home party. And he posted the pictures on social media. And that guy gets to just hang out until his trial. Same for this guy. And whenever his trial comes, I'm sure uh, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about. It. And in fact, the media is already reporting about how, you know, he's an activist and a social justice leader. And but he's a very very troubled guy, and he's he had had some hard ran into some hard times in his life, and uh, so he just made a mistake, and he and he went and tried to went in someone's office and tried to kill him. It's just a it's simple, but we all make mistakes. This was his it was a youthful indiscretion. That's already the narrative from the media. Is this a uh, what kind of privilege is this? It's not white privilege. And BLM, they're, they're not hiding, and, and they never really have. They've always been pretty explicit about what the organization's all about. So you, 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 if you haven't paid much attention to BLM, you might think that given the fact that this guy was a noted, prominent BLM activist who had been hailed and celebrated by everyone up, up, up to 
Barack Obama and his foundation had been on MSNBC and all of that, had been writing you know, articles for mainstream publications, you would think that BLM would try to distance themselves. If you didn't know any better, you would think that BLM would try to distance themselves and say, oh, you know, this guy really had nothing to do with us. He was not, you know, he went to a couple of events, but he wasn't official. You'd think that would be their approach if you didn't know any better, but not at all. They got money together, marched down there and got him out of jail. You know what they also haven't done, as far as I know? Um, they haven't put out any statement condemning this or anything. And that's because they don't condemn it. And they don't even pretend to. They are the, the, the most violent domestic terrorist organization in the country, and they, they don't even really hide it. They rely on the media to hide it for them. Meanwhile, on their own website, if you go, and this may, this may be one, actually, they've taken some of this down now, so they are, they are hiding it a little bit. They're making a few attempts to cover some, some of their tracks, but for years, you can go to their website and look at their mission statement. They're pretty explicit that their goal was to destroy Western civilization and the nuclear family. But, you know, you don't need to hide it when you've got the media in your back pocket. Um, so, Speaking of racism, uh, a racism controversy at a school in Illinois uh, that's, you know, making some waves online. But I have some questions about this. I'm a little bit confused. Let's let's watch the uh, local news report about this. Tonight, we'll hear from school leaders about an incident involving so-called white privilege cards. And local groups say the school handled the situation well. News 3's Danny Valle is in Jackson County with more. Intolerance is not acceptable and it's not okay at our school and it's not something that would be tolerated. These white privilege cards are actually gags you can buy off Amazon, but a local civil rights group says jokes about racism are no laughing matter. It's telling the children that if they have a certain type of skin color, that they don't have privilege, that they can't do whatever they want to do. Last week, a sixth grade boy at Unity Point School received one of the cards, according to Chastity Mays of the Race Unity Group of Carbondale. It made him feel really bad. He really didn't kind of understand what was happening. Dean of Students Mary Beth Goff says the school acted quickly, holding a conference with the families involved and making time for conversations about race with small groups of students from 5th through 8th grade. I think our goal really is to look at the safety of our students um, and we want to make sure, bottom line, that our kids are safe here at school and that they feel safe. Goff says the conversations are an important teachable moment for students and for teachers who occasionally have to think outside their lesson plan. You take that opportunity and you use that to teach the students not just about this one incident, but really about the role that hate has played throughout time um, in, in our world um, and unfortunately still plays today. And Mays couldn't agree more. If the children of color are old enough to experience racism, all the children in the school are old enough to address the subject. Goff could not provide specifics okay. on the students involved in this incident, all but right. she does uh, say the conversation. So, first of all, I love how she she actually literally said uh, intolerance won't be tolerated. So, intolerance won't be tolerated except for uh, the intolerance of intolerance. We're going to tolerate that intolerance, but all other forms of intolerance will not be tolerated. Um, the thing that, that that confuses me, though, is that this was a, so it was a white privilege card, and it's like a little credit card. That they didn't. They, the one thing they didn't tell you is, okay, the kid who got this card, like, who, where did he get it? And was the kid, the kid who was handed the card, was he a, a white kid or a black kid? Uh, so I, I assume it was a white kid. And and who and who handed it? Was it a white or black kid who handed it to him? Uh, these these questions are not answered, which makes me very much suspect that it was a black child handing the white privilege card to a white child. Why would that happen? Well, because the white privilege card, it's, it's like a little credit card and it says white privilege. And then it's, you know, it says, it, it says that you're, you get off scot-free and you have this, this card you can cash in anytime because you're white and it makes your life so easy. Okay. So what I'm trying to figure out is how are the black kids the victim of that? Is it the, the whole point is that it's an attack on the kid who was given the card. It's accusing it's it's not a, it's do they think it's literally a card which actually gives privilege that that, that that this person was handed this credit card and they can actually go to like target or something and use it to buy whatever they want 
No, the card is supposed to be making a point, and the point it's it's trying to make is that white people have privilege and their lives are super easy, and uh, they're all a bunch of entitled, selfish brats, right? That's the idea behind the white privilege claim. And yet, this is an attack on the black kids. So are, are we now being told, is this what we're being told? That white, that the concept of white privilege is racist against black people. And we heard from one of the teachers there. She said, well, when you say that a white kid has privilege, then you're, you're claiming that black, that black children don't have privileges. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I agree with you that that's wrong, that we shouldn't be saying that, that we shouldn't be telling people based on their skin color that they do or don't have certain privileges. But that, that's what we've been saying the whole time. Again, just like with COVID, this is what we've been saying, that white privilege is a racist concept. To go around telling people that they have privilege based on race is racist, but it's racist against the white people. But if, if, this, is, if this is the end result, is that now we can't talk about white privilege anymore because somehow they found a way to make the black kids the, the victims of it, then fine. I'll take it if it means we can stop talking about white privilege. Um, here's a privilege that nobody has, whether you're white or black or any color, uh, and that is to leave your shopping carts in the parking lot without putting them into their appropriate receptacles, which are laid out at every parking lot. And uh, there's a, an account on Twitter and YouTube, a great account called Cartnarks. And what they do, people send me their videos all the time, assuming that I'm somehow involved, you know, in some kind of capacity with this organization. I would, and I, I would love to be involved, but I'm actually not. This is something they're doing on their own. And, uh, and they, are, they are, in fact, heroes. I think they're, you know, one of the great heroes of Western civilization right now, still living. And what they do is they go out um, across the country and they film and shame people who leave their shopping carts in parking lots. And uh, yeah, I always watch these videos and sometimes they get a, get a good reaction out of somebody. I don't think they've ever got a reaction like this, though. So this is outside of a, I think it's outside of a Costco. And let's go ahead and just start playing this video. This is good stuff. Oh, look at that. A half curving. That's not where the carts go, sir. Well, you should because they walk. What does the sign say at the cart return? Please return carts here. Yeah, and the carts right there. But that doesn't say please return carts there. You're getting a put magnet to shame, sir. Now, sir. Will, as soon as you return your cart. He's putting a flag on a car. Would you like a magnet magnet instead? Flag, shaming him for. Now, sir. Get your off my car. As soon as you take your cart. why are you, you guys wearing a mask, you by the way. You already guessed that. Sir, no, you won't. Look at yourself. Who's Perry Caravelle alive? Look, sir. Sir. There's a guy in a mask threatening to beat another person in a parking lot, but he cares about safety. Where's that? He cares about the safety of his fellow man. This guy is so angry. He's getting double magnets and the flag. Watch out behind you, sir. All right. What a jerk face. This actually goes on for like another two minutes. Then he, Please then he be stops. careful. Don't be a... And look, look what he did. Hold you. on a second. Okay, we'll pause it there. Uh, look what this guy did, first of all. Look, look at the move that this guy tried to pull when he's ditching the, the, the shopping cart. He edges the shopping cart up onto the grass and then kind of leaves it there and assumes that that's good enough. And I'm, and I'm quite glad that the cart narcs, they're not taking any of that. That's not, that is not good enough. That's not, that isn't... Yeah, okay, it's a little bit better than just leaving it in the middle of the parking lot where a gust of wind can take it and like a battering ram slam it into someone, you know, into someone's uh, someone else's car. Uh, so at least you've anchored it, but that's not where the carts go. And if you have the time to put it and edge it up on the grass or up on a median strip or something, then you could just take it back. And, and here we can see he's like maybe eight or nine spaces away from the front of the store. He could just bring it right back to the front of the store. And also this guy with his... Um, fedora and his face mask on he's by himself okay he's by himself he's also a little bit overweight he could use the exercise and just go take it's a beautiful day outside blue skies mild temperatures just go take a nice stroll down to the front of the front of the uh, the store and leave your shopping cart there and you benefit from it you get some fresh air you get some exercise you could definitely need it and you're doing the right thing for society you can feel better about yourself but this guy cannot be bothered to even do that for his fellow man. Even walking 20 feet, he cannot be bothered to do it. 
which tells you if you, if you, if you can't do the right thing in these small little moments when it costs you nothing, then I can guarantee you're not going to do the right thing when it caught, when it actually does cost you something. So I'm glad we have the cartonarchs out there doing the right thing, shaming these people. And um, well done, sirs. Let's get now to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. All right, dailywire.com slash sweet baby comments. If you want to leave a video comment, let's start with uh, clip 10. Hi, Matt Walsh. I'm sorry, did you say that you don't know how to change a diaper? You have four children? And you don't know how to change a diaper? I really, really hope that was a joke. You kind of mumbled it, kind of seemed ashamed of it, so thinking it might not be a joke. Please tell me it was a joke. If it wasn't, you really need to consider canceling yourself. Sweet baby gang for life. I don't, don't attack me. Don't attack me on such a, don't uh, come to me with this ableist attack. And then say, sweet baby gang for life. Don't, don't do that. Yeah, I don't know how to, to change a diaper. I don't. My wife, I've been telling my wife this for 10 years or eight years, however long we've had kids. I don't even remember. I, I don't know how to do it. It's, how do you, it's, it's too complicated, especially uh, when, when, there's, you know, when it's a pee diaper, I can, I can kind of figure it out. But when it's a big, nasty poop diaper and it smells and it's stinking up the whole house, I, I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. I'd love to do it. I just can't. And the other thing is a lot of times I forget, like if I'm, if I'm watching the kids and, and uh, a kid poops in a diaper and my wife is out of the house, um, I'll, a lot of times the other thing is it's a mental thing where I'll, there's, I'll sort of forget that the diaper needs to be changed until my wife gets home. And then I'll remember and I'll say, oh, by the way, as soon as she walks in the door, I'll say, oh, by the way, we got to change that diaper. And I'll remember it. But that's not my fault. And I, I have a medical condition too. You know, I have a, I have a very... I have a strong, I have a stronger than average sense of smell. And so it, it really upsets me physically and emotionally to change diapers. I've got a lot of excuses. It's not my fault. But the result is that over, uh, eight years, you know, I've probably changed two diapers. You could judge me for that or you could admire me. I think a lot of the men in the audience, you should admire my skills at evading that responsibility. It's not easy to do. All right, let's uh, go to this. It says, BMAC says, hey, Matt, you were talking about protecting our kids as a society, and I wanted to bring up a situation that's been weighing heavy on my mind. I recently flew on Delta, and I was shocked when I found out that Delta allows... Um, sorry, I'm just thinking about all the extremely angry messages I'm going to have coming my way because of what I just said about... Diabetes. I've changed more than two. I mean, I, you know, that's... A, I've, I've probably changed at least seven years eight years. I've probably changed at least, at least 20. So I'm going to be fair to myself. Anyway, I recently flew on Delta and I was shocked when I found out that Delta allows R-rated shows with sexual content on their uh, TVs on the back of the seats. It's almost impossible to not see what those are watching around you. And I was thinking about all the children that would be exposed to seeing the violent, sexually explicit scenes from some of the shows. I'm so frustrated. I'm at a loss of what to do. If kids can't get into an R-rated movie in theaters until they're 17, why can they be exposed to it on a Delta flight? I have left a complaint with Delta, but not sure we'll do anything. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this matter if you have time. Thank you. Well, I, I totally agree with you and I have the same exact thought every time I'm flying and they've got the, the TVs on the back of the seats. Um, and there have been plenty of times when uh, you know I'm scrolling through looking for something to watch and you see some you know violent action movie or whatever and it's rated R and and I think, well, yeah, if I was if I was at home in my living room, I'd probably put this one on. But this is like I'm, we're totally exposed out here. There are kids around and not it's not, it's not appropriate content for everybody to see. Um, but I, I think most people, they don't even think about that anymore. And I, and I notice this all the time also on planes. People put on not just violent movies, but they put on sexually explicit movies with you know nude scenes and everything that are still allowed on these flights. And uh, it, people without any shame are just watching it. But other, you know, got flight attendants walking by. They're sitting. You're sitting right next to two other people. They're kids. I think people are so conditioned to simply not think about anyone else but themselves, and especially when it comes to entertainment, we are conditioned to believe 
that whatever we want to do for our own entertainment, we have a right to do it. And, and it's absurd for anyone to criticize us and, uh, and, and, or to judge us for it. I think that's how we're kind of conditioned. Um, Kaziah says, if Matt can pronounce my name correctly, then I'm going to make my husband buy and wear a Sweet Daddy Walsh t-shirt. Kaziah, did I do it right? K-E-Z-I-A-H and then S. So, yeah, Kaziah. Keziah? Keziah. Keziah. I went through all the options. One of them has to be right. And the end result is that you have to go and buy a Sweet Daddy uh, Sweet Baby Gang shirt. We actually don't have a Sweet Daddy Walsh t-shirt. And I, I do draw the line there. I, we, we can't sell that. That's one thing we cannot sell. Um, John L. says, Matt, do you think that Gen Z is more screwed up by the internet because of being exposed to it so young or less screwed up because it's been a normal part of their life? Lots of boomers I know seem to have gone insane because of social media. Maybe there's something to be said for early exposure. Uh, I, I think I understand what you're, what you're getting at, but w- without a doubt, there's no question that Gen Z is more screwed up by the internet. More screwed up in, in general, but especially by the internet because they're exposed to it so young. You know, I think my generation, as screwed up as we are, um, on balance, we are less so, especially by the internet, because a big, big, big part of the reason here is that, is that people who are my age, we can remember First of all, we had some kind of life before the internet. So we, we know what that was like. And we had at least the first part of our childhood in an internet-free world. And uh, in a world where you had there was nothing else to do, right? But I mean, you, you could watch TV and sit around and play video games. But um, it, it had not taken over life in the same way that it does now. The screens had not completely consumed everyone's lives. And so it's still very common Back when I was eight years old, you know, you look outside your window and all the kids in the neighborhood are playing outside. Um, and so we, we had that experience, at least for the first part of our childhood, which kids these days, you know, a kid who was born, a kid in, gener- in Gen Z or my kid's generation, um, they, they never lived in a world where this stuff didn't exist. And also, you know, we can remember encountering this thing. Right. I, I, people talk all the time about, oh, what, do you remember where you were when 9-11 happened? Do you remember where you were when this or that thing happened? And I, I can remember where I was when I first in, encountered the Internet for the first time. I was at my friend's house. I think it was in third grade. And I'd never he had a computer. I knew what computers were. We didn't have one. Um, they were still not very common computers, at least as household items. I had never even heard of the Internet, and I was at my friend's house, and he told me about it, and I went on, and he was, it was like AOL 1.0 at the time, and the Internet was a much smaller place back then, so there were a couple little boxes you could click, and it would take you to, oh, here's the section for news, here's the section for entertainment, here's the section for games, and I kind of scrolled around it for about five minutes, and I thought, this is really boring, and uh, that was it. The last, it's the last time I thought about it for several years. So I can, I can remember encountering it, at least, which means that I always am going to see it as something sort of outside, something foreign, something that was that's an addition to my life. Even if it's even if it tends to to overtake all of our lives, even as older people. But for Gen Z, they they just grew up in a world that was completely defined by the internet. I, I don't even think they see the internet as something separate from life itself. It's a, like it is life. Because they never had that moment of encountering it because they've lived in that world since they were young. So I think there's no, there's no doubt about that, that they're more screwed up than we are. Though it's a, it's a pretty low bar, let's be honest. Well, tomorrow is a really exciting day for The Daily Wire. Why? Because we'll be releasing our new show, The Enemy Within. The docuseries features acclaimed journalist and expert in national threats, Lee Smith, who uncovers just how far the CCP's infiltration of America goes and a political coup orchestrated by ruling elites to generate their own wealth and power at the expense of the American people's safety and freedom. From Fauci to our education system to Hollywood and everything in between, each episode will take you deep into what's going on behind the scenes. What those who are supposed to be protecting you don't want you to know. Check out the trailer. What if everything we think we know about our leaders, our society, and our relations with the rest of the world is wrong? America is facing two major challenges. One is the Chinese Communist Party. However, the most significant threat comes from within. 
Congress. You're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around the world. Okay. Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. We've already seen evidence of how the elites want to run the United States. They're modeling themselves after Chinese autocracy. For over a decade, the People's Republic of China has stood publicly accused of acts of cruelty and wickedness that match the cruelty and wickedness of medieval torturers and executioners. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. We're not talking about one person infiltrating senior levels at the CIA or the White House. We're talking about an entire elite class throughout the political, corporate, academic, cultural, and media establishment. My name is Lee Smith. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years. This is the most astonishing espionage and infiltration operation in history. What you're going to see in this series will shock you. This is The Enemy Within. The Enemy Within will start streaming this Friday, February 18th, exclusively at The Daily Wire. So if you're not a member, now's the time to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. And also, I can't stress this enough, if you haven't yet seen The Daily Wire's new film, Shut In, you got to change that. Head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get a membership and start streaming today. It's streaming exclusively for Daily Wire members, and it's very popular with the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, both critics and uh, general audience, they all love it. So you got to go subscribe. We're creating more and more great entertainment without a leftist agenda. And it's all thanks to our Daily Wire members. You guys make it possible. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe today. So you can watch Shut In. And we've got a lot more coming this summer. Hyperion's, uh, Gina's new movie is out this summer as well. So you're going to miss all that if you're not a member. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So I've mentioned before the campaign of psychological warfare being waged against me by my wife and children who for years have been trying to coerce me into funding and even accompanying them on a trip to Disney World. Now, we never went to Disney World when I was a kid. Our amusement park was a sheet of plastic, a grassy hill, and a garden hose. Homemade slip and slides never worked like the store-bought version, but we made do, and we liked it too. We didn't need no dang fancy glorified carnival. We ran around outside all day without our shoes on. Came home for supper. Supper was a boiled raccoon in a rusty pot. And we liked that too. And I would say, Mom, can I at least have some salt for the raccoon? And she would say, Boy, you'll get some salt from those tears when I whoop your behind. This is how I lived. Or at least it's the version that I tell my kids all the time. And I've tried to explain all this to them, perhaps taking poetic license with one or two details. But they're not convinced. Mostly because their mother is working against me, sabotaging me every step of the way. And the end result is that now we will be going to Disney World as I can no longer withstand the pressure. My only hope is to keep putting off the trip using various stalling tactics, at least until our youngest is 25 or so. Already, I've successfully convinced my wife that we, uh, we can't go this spring for whatever reason I came up with. Obviously, we don't want to go in the summer. It's going to be too hot. So instead, let's shoot for the fall. And that gives me several months to think of a reason why we can't go in the fall either. Maybe I'll say that we can't go because it's election season and I have to stay here and uh, watch the polls or whatever. But as horrifying as Disney World will surely be, whenever I'm finally forced to actually go. It's only the tip of the iceberg. Here's uh, the latest, an article from The Verge. It says, Disney has launched a new business for fans who can't bear to leave the pristine, family-friendly world the corporation has nurtured through its theme parks and media ventures. Story Living by Disney will operate as part of the company's theme parks division, developing a series of master-planned communities for residential living designed by Disney's creative staff and offering the same pampered tranquility found in its resorts. One location has been announced so far, a community of 1,900 housing units named Cotino that will be built in the city of Rancho Mirage in California's Coachella Valley. Concept art for Cotino shows uh, villas, condos, and housing complexes clustered around a 24-acre grand oasis, which Disney says will offer clear turquoise water powered by the Crystal Lagoons technology deployed at its resorts. Amenities will include shopping, dining, entertainment, as well as a beachfront hotel and clubhouse hosting Disney programming, entertainment, and activities throughout the year. Now, this truly sounds like a fantastic housing opportunity if you have so despaired of your human existence that you want to totally surrender yourself to Disney so that every aspect of your life is subject to corporate programming. 
I mean, even more than it already is. Now, if you think this sounds horrifically dystopian, like something out of a Black Mirror episode, wait until you see the promotional video. I'm proud to announce our next Disney experience, Story Living by Disney. All new Disney branded master plan residential communities designed to be the perfect setting for Disney fans to write the next exciting chapter in their lives. And some neighborhoods will be planned for residents ages 55 and over. Story Living by Disney allows us to leverage what we do best, world-class service, legendary storytelling, and creativity. This exciting new venture will enhance, extend, and strengthen the Disney brand by allowing us to bring the magic of Disney to places you may never have expected. These vibrant communities will be infused with Disney placemaking. Picture an energetic community with the warmth and charm of a small town and the beauty of a resort. A place that entices inspiration and makes every moment more memorable than the last. A story living by Disney community is something truly special. The charm of a small town, except it's owned by a company worth $200 billion. Now, she says it's like a small town, but also like a resort. Only a resort is a place where people wait on you hand and foot, and you're subjected to so much unrelenting and obtrusive comfort and luxury that it quickly becomes exhausting in its own special way. Meanwhile, a small town, and I say this as someone who just moved from one, is a place where you can live independently and do things yourself and have some semblance of privacy and have something of your own and experience the bonds of community in a non-facilitated, organic, non-forced kind of way. So a small town is the exact opposite of a resort, and that is its whole charm. Still, even if the small town pitch is silly, who wouldn't want to live in a community dedicated to, as we were told, enhancing the Disney brand. These are surely the values we want to pass on to our children. When our children ask us what it means to live in a community and be a good neighbor, we can tell them that it means undying fealty to a multinational corporate brand. And when our children ask us the meaning of life, we can tell them that the meaning of life is the brand. And when our children aren't satisfied with that answer and begin to hunger for a deeper and more authentic existence, we can tell them to come with us to the Disney doctor so he can give them some special pills that will make all those unpleasant ideas go away. You know, I, I find myself more and more having to remind people that the Truman Show was not meant to be an instruction manual. It's supposed to be a nightmare, not a dream come true. It's a, it's a dystopia, not a utopia. But this is probably where we're headed as a country. I mean, I mean in 10 years, we'll, we'll all be living in Disneyville or Amazon land or Walmart, Walmart town. And the worst thing about it is that most people probably won't be real enough by that point to be bothered by how unreal and curated their everyday life has become. Again, we, we already live in an unreal curated reality, and many people are not nearly as bothered by it as they ought to be. In fact, they like it as much as they can like anything, given that their passions have been dulled as they more and more turn into faceless robotic consumers. As for Disney specifically, you know, lots of adults these days cling obsessively to not their childhoods as a whole, but specifically the brands and entertainment franchises of their childhoods. They're still adults, like they're adults complaining about, and they get really upset, complaining about the new Pixar films and, and how it's, it, it, the animation isn't as good as it was, uh, you know, when Toy Story first came out. Or, uh, you know, I, these, these new Disney movies, they, they're not as good as, as uh, I, I don't like them as much as when I was a kid. That's because they're for kids. And the Disney movies you saw when you were a kid, you were a kid when you watched them. That's why you don't like them as much now. Because it's time to move on with your life and develop tastes that are suitable for an adult. But those are the only things that they remember about their childhood. That's why they cling on to it. It's how they define their past and also their present and their future. And so there will be, unfortunately, a vast population eager to go live in a community totally dedicated to the corporate entertainment that has always defined their lives. And maybe it's for the best. You know, get, get all those people in one place, segregate them, and then carve out the whole plot of land and eject it into the sun. That would be my plan anyway. And if we can't do that, then at least we can say to them that you're all canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire editor-in-chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Canadian government cuts off funds to the Freedom Convoy, Democrats are divided over defund the police, and the Oscars bring back posts. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.